please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and to chapter 18. And let us go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, prepare to hear the reading and the preaching of his word. Lord God, we would pine away and shrivel up without your word. It is life to us, and it is health, and it is peace. And we pray for grace to hear it and to receive it. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 18 and beginning in verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Have you ever put down someone to make yourself feel better about yourself. Sometimes it can be done obviously and brutally. You think you've had a bad week, you should try being me. Oftentimes it's more subtle, under a guise of concern for others. You can talk about your friends to other people, their life choices, their struggles with their children, their annoying habits, etc. And do it in a way that mixes snobbery with compassion. We really don't want to judge and, and they're really having a hard time. And part of us really does want to feel bad for them. But at the same time, talking about 
their problems really does make us feel a little superior. And then there is what we do in our hearts. We would never say it aloud, but we look at that other mother, that colleague at work, that younger person, or that person with the wrong opinions, and we congratulate ourselves that we are not like them. Sin is so deceitful that we can even congratulate ourselves that we are not like other people who put down others to feel better about themselves. But perhaps you're not so negative. It's not that you think about the defects of others and in fact you know that you have defects of your own. But you think of yourself as basically pretty nice and loving and caring. And the implication is, whether we allow ourselves to think it or not, that we are more loving and caring and nice than most. And it all stems from that subtle and insidious defect of pride. We value ourselves. We think we are good. Even we reformed people who declare that we are sinful from our mother's womb, that we are naturally totally depraved. Even we harbor and protect a sense of goodness by favorably comparing ourselves to others. And Jesus told this parable, the parable that I just read, for people like you and me. Look at verse 9. And Jesus' message is this. Humility about our goodness is the way to God. And this is my message this evening. Humility about our goodness is the way to God. But in order to convince you, or to convince you afresh, I want to give you two exhortations. Beware of pride in your own goodness. Beware of pride in your own goodness. And trust in God who exalts the humble. Trust in God who exalts the humble. This story is designed to destroy our trust in our own goodness and to point us to God's mercy. And so, in this first point, I want to focus on the first part of that and exhort you to beware of pride in your own goodness. Look with me at the parable. We see here two characters introduced to us along with the activity that they are both engaged in. Verse 10, we see the posture and prayer of one of the characters described in verses 11 and 12, and then we see the posture and prayer of the other character described in verse 13. And the first thing to notice is what they are doing. They are praying at the place God has appointed to dwell with his people on earth at that time. They're going to meet with God at his house. But we need to look at these characters more closely to see what is really going on here. One is a Pharisee, a member of a religious group which was highly respected by the common people of the day. 
and the other is a tax collector. A despised figure. Despised because tax collectors were known for their immoral practices, their abuse of power, their rejection of their native land and its religion in favor of the ruling Romans. Now our situation has changed a fair bit today, so we often struggle to grasp the significance of these two characters. But today this story might start a respected member of a Presbyterian church and Harvey Weinstein went up to church. You might think I'm being provocative, but Jesus was being provocative here. And I'm in no way, shape, or form condoning the horrific wickedness that a man like Harvey Weinstein is accused of. Just as Jesus wasn't condoning the wickedness of most tax collectors, their intimidation, their violence, their apostasy, and their preying on the poor. But we need to understand, on the one hand, the justifiable revulsion with which this tax collector would have been viewed. And on the other hand, the respect with which the Pharisee would have been viewed. Listen again to verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The Pharisee confidently stands in the presence of God and essentially declares his goodness. But here's the thing. This would have seemed pretty normal and predictable, even impressive. Of course the Pharisee isn't an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer, or like this tax collector people would have thought. He was the epitome of what was right and good and respectable, or or so that's how people thought of him. Just like we would see certain people in our own churches today as godly and respectable. And we have all sorts of spoken and unspoken ways of saying, I thank God that I'm not like this grossly immoral person. Furthermore, this Pharisee went well beyond the call of duty. The law required a fast once a year. He fasted twice a week. The law required tithes and donations of 10% of one's produce on certain crops. He gave 10% of all of his crops. However, the presence of the tax collector at the temple is a surprise. First off, it would have been thought, what is this worthless piece of rubbish doing even showing his face in God's house in the first place? Second, how is it that Jesus says that he, rather than the Pharisee, went down to his house justified? The answer is to be found in this tax collector's posture and prayer. By contrast to the Pharisee, he doesn't waltz into the presence of God. He stands afar off. He won't even so much as look up to heaven, verse 13. 
Like someone who slips into the back of church, hoping that no one will notice because he's ashamed to be there. Ashamed of who he is and what he's done. And he knows everyone else knows too what he's done. But most of all, he knows that God knows what he's done. And he is overcome with grief. And he beats his breast. An outward display of inward agony and grief and sorrow and pain. Have you ever been in such agony of sorrow that you wanted to beat your breast? He takes his sin seriously. He takes the avenging justice and holiness of God seriously. He has no illusions of goodness. He has nothing left to do but to cry for mercy. God be merciful to me, the sinner. That's actually how it is in the original Greek. God be merciful to me, the sinner. He takes his sin so seriously that he has no room for the sin of other people. He is so caught up with his own. As one commentator put it, he asked God for mercy because that was the only thing he dared ask for. And it is for this very reason that God accepts him. In true humility, he saw that he had nothing to offer God except that which would condemn him. And so he asked for mercy. Not more time, not a bit of leniency, but the staying of justice richly deserved. And therefore God accepts him. Not because he did anything, but because he did nothing to earn acceptance. And he knows it. Hopefully, Harvey Weinstein will go to prison and that is not a severe enough punishment. However, if at some point he were to truly be undone within himself for his sin against others and even more his heinous sin against God and he were to cry out in prayer as this tax collector, God be merciful to me, the sinner, He would be made right before God. It wouldn't get him out of prison, but it would remove the guilt he must feel. It would bring him into a living relationship with God, and it would secure for him an eternity of blessing with God. And as we shall see in a few minutes, it's not that God would overlook his justice, but it would not fall on him. That might be hard to swallow. I know people who are angry at that sort of idea, that God would forgive someone like that. But friend, if that is you, I'm afraid that you have a deficient understanding of the mercy and grace of God. More shocking still is Jesus saying in verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other the Pharisee. It is shocking enough that God would accept such horrible sinners if they but truly recognize their sin and cry out for his mercy. Men and women whom society says forgiveness should never be extended to. It is a whole nother matter that he should accept repentant sinners rather than those who are upstanding citizens, charity workers, 
victims, advocates, members of Reformed churches who can speak well of theology and even the grace of God, but who don't really know the depth of their sin and aren't truly relying on Christ. But I tell you that hell will be full of upstanding citizens and charity workers and victims, advocates. And perhaps although we pray that it would not be so, even perhaps some members of our churches. And you will find in heaven repentant concentration camp guards, repentant serial killers, repentant men and women guilty of homosexuality and transgenderism and and gross immorality. What made the Pharisee and the tax collector different? A comparison reveals the Pharisee's pride. He thought he had something to recommend him to God and it damned him to hell. And my concern this evening is that there are people here who have the same pride. If you are in this category, chances are that you don't even think of yourself as a prideful person. But you do think in your heart of hearts that you would have a better shot at God's acceptance apart from Christ than a repentant Harvey Weinstein. You may not have committed sins as egregious as his, although the seeds of the same sins are in your heart. But you, like him, have nothing good in yourself to offer to God. Our best efforts are not acceptable. The Bible says they're like filthy rags. They're not what God accepts. He is perfect. His glory is perfect, spotless glory. And that is the standard, and we have fallen short. We have all inherited a nature of rebellion against God from our first father, and we have continued in the deadly tradition. We may be good in human terms, we may be even exemplary, but when we come to righteousness before God, we are playing in a different league. Our pride is that we have an overinflated view of ourselves based on a comparison with others. And this pride can keep you from God's mercy and damn you to hell. Even those of us who truly have cast ourselves fully on God's mercy, do not think that you could ignore this parable. This pride will always be creeping back like a bad friend who you cannot get away from. Even if it does not condemn you to hell, It can make your relationship with God anemic and weak. And it requires killing daily, sometimes hourly. Beware of pride in your own goodness. But this is only half the story, brothers and sisters, friends. There is not only a serious warning in this text, but also a great encouragement that God exalts the humble. And on the basis of that encouragement, I now in this second point want to exhort you to trust in this God who exalts the humble. 
the tax collector was justified, verse 14, given the status of righteous before God. As we have seen, his humility about the lack of his own goodness drove him to cast himself on the mercy of God. And Jesus connects this humility and says in verse 14, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the tax collector's humility didn't save him. And that's really important to understand. Humility cannot save. God alone could save. But his humility did drive him to the God who saves. And this is why the primary message of this sermon is that humility about our goodness is the way to God. If you really are humble before God, if you really understand your guilt and your shame and absolute unworthiness, then there is only two options. Either despair or God. And the good news is that God really does justify and God really does exalt those who cry out to him for mercy. But how does he do this? The answer is to be found in the tax collector's prayer. God be merciful to me, the sinner. The word translated merciful is not the normal word translated mercy in the New Testament. And it comes from a word that speaks of the turning away of God's wrath against sin through blood sacrifice. In God, justice and mercy are not two separate things. God is one undivided God. And what this means is that his justice and his mercy always go together. And this was very hands-on for the Old Testament people of God. They could only come to God ultimately through Christ. But God had given them animal sacrifice. And it was to show them that they were sinners justly deserving death. And so they would bring an animal, like a goat or a bull or a lamb, and it would be without defect. And they would kill it with their own hands. Its blood would be poured out on the altar, representing their life. Part of it would be burned on the altar, and part of it would be taken outside the camp or the city to be burned there. And it was a messy reminder. It engaged the senses. And it was a reminder that God's just wrath for their sin was turned away by the death of a substitute. Imagine the noise of the animal. Imagine the blood on your hands. Imagine the smell of all this in your nostrils. It was a continual reminder that God's justice was a part of his mercy. And it is this mercy through sacrifice that this word here points to. And it would have been made stronger by the fact that this likely happened, these two men going up at the the time of the evening sacrifice. But brothers and sisters, friends, we have something better. We have what all of that pointed to. All of that was, was just something that was looking forward. 
We have the real thing. We have Christ, the one whom all these sacrifices looked to. He is the substitute who was uniquely qualified to pour out his life for the sins of his people. He was perfect man. And as a human, he could represent us. And as a perfect one, he had nothing to pay for. As God, he could take the infinite penalty of our infinite debt of sin before God. And he died outside the city, just like the remains of the animal were burnt outside the city to turn away God's just anger for the sins of every person who comes to God pleading for mercy like this tax collector. He died to give you, if that describes you, a just and righteous status before God's sight, which is true goodness. He died to free you from the power of sin in your life. And more than that, he is risen and ascended to heaven and he pleads for us even now. And he is coming again to put away sin and death forever for those who are connected to him. And one day, if that describes you, you will rule and reign with him in the presence of God with fullness of joy. Can you really think of much greater honor or privilege? Can you really think of much greater honor or privilege? This is exaltation. And this is what God does for those who humble themselves before him and cry out in mercy because they dare not cry out for anything else. Are you truly humbled for your sin? Can you see it there, hanging there? Perhaps some particular thing that you are deeply ashamed of, some pattern in your life that you can't seem to shake, black, ugly, dangerous, vile, an attack on God's goodness, rising up to accuse you, making you feel like you're the last person that God would ever accept or love. Does it make you want to weep? Do you know what that's like? To be so pressed down by a certain sin that you want to weep over it. Jesus Christ, God's perfect sacrifice, has been provided for people just like you. He's not for people who think they have it all together. He's for people like you. So the exhortation here is to cry out to God for mercy and true humility. God be merciful to me, the sinner. And to trust him that he exalts the humble in Jesus Christ. Do you think you're too bad? Well, let me challenge you. Do you know more than God? You think you're too bad to be forgiven by God? Is there some sin you think he doesn't know about? He knows everything. Are you more just than God? Oh, well, God can never forgive this You're saying you're more just than the one who is infinite in his justice. Are you accusing God of offering a false deal? Are you accusing him of lying? I'm not trying to be cruel, but I'm trying to show you the impossibility of saying 
that you're too bad if you truly come in true humility asking for mercy from God. But perhaps you're unmoved by that. The reason is that you're not truly humbled. You don't really know the depths of your own heart. And so, my friend, I would call upon you and ask you to pray, to go home and pray. I'm serious. Go home and pray tonight that God would open up your heart. Perhaps you are even a Christian and and you're unmoved by this. You've heard it so many times. And I call on you, go home and pray and ask God to uncover the depths of your sin and to make these truths precious to you again. And finally, perhaps you have been humbled. Perhaps you have cast yourself upon Christ. Can you feel your heart rising with praise? Like a tank of water filling up and then overflowing and then running over? Do you know what that's like to be light and giddy? Because you know the wonderfulness of the free forgiveness of God. You know what it's like to be filled with wonder, love and praise. Because you have a God who accepts even someone as sinful and dirty as you. And more than that, he doesn't just accept you, he exalts you and raises you up to be with Christ and to sit with him and one day to reign with him. And even now, you are raised up into the heavenly places spiritually. That's wonderful. That's glorious. And as we approach the Lord's Supper, I also would exhort you, humble yourself afresh before your God, but also come knowing that he accepts, he accepts, he accepts those who are truly humble for their sin and come. Come, brother, sister, who's been humbled, come in hope, come in wonder, come in love, for your God. Beware, yes, beware of trusting in your own goodness, which is really just pride before God. Treat it like a deadly poison. It will keep you from God. He casts down the proud, but he exalts the humble through Jesus Christ. Humility about your goodness is the way to God. Let us pray. O Lord God, we ask you to forgive us for too often forgetting the depths of our sin and and not experiencing the wonder and the love and the praise that we might because we see how glorious it is that you are a forgiving God even forgiving us but Lord we pray that we might not stay wallowing in our sin but we pray that that we would know what it means not only to be undone for our sin but 
to be assured of your mercy and to have that hope of exaltation with Christ, to know that it is a reality already spiritually. And we pray that you would help us as we come to your supper, that we would come in humility, but that it would be a means unto us of assuring us, of presenting to our senses a reminder that Christ has died, that Christ is risen. And that if we are resting in your Son, that we are forgiven. Help us that we might spiritually feed upon Christ by your Spirit and in so doing be assured of these things. We ask in the name of our Savior. Amen.